Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hello everyone, welcome to the Electronically Yours with Martin Ware podcast. I am Martin Ware, as you probably understand. Today I am interviewing one of my oldest friends. And when I say friends, you know, I often say, oh, they're all my friends, you know. But Sarah Jane sang at my wedding, for instance. Um, we have extremely similar political views. We've been friends since the mid-80s. I think she's incredibly talented. Her work with the Communards, she's incredibly popular in Italy, amazingly. She's always had a connection with Italy and she's now regarded as one of the top 10 jazz vocalists in possibly in the world, uh, but definitely in Europe and, and maybe one of the top five in Italy. So um, she's an extraordinary person. She's had to fight quite hard to get what she wants. She's never been motivated by commercial success particularly. Of course, nobody turns it down if it comes along. But she's always been driven by her artistic instincts. And I think this is a lesson that we all need to uh, take on board as creators or even understand from the point of view of if you're just a fan of the people's works. I think you can feel and you can understand authenticity uh, intuitively when you hear somebody's work. Um, and it's a million miles away from the kind of manufactured pop things that we are inundated with nowadays um, and cynically sold and re and packaged and branded. Um, Sarah Jane has never done anything boring in her life and part of that is a risk-taking thing, part of that is believing in her own talent and going, you know what, if I like it then you'll probably like it. Some of it is quite esoteric, some of it is incredibly commercial. She's had a number one hit in the UK um, she's been in various successful pop bands. Uh, Communards, obviously, is the most famous one. And um, she's worked with me on the British Electric Foundation Music of Quality and Distinction Volume 3 album. Um, she's worked with a lot of very famous people worldwide. And she's a happy person because she's fulfilled her destiny. And she follows her gut instinct about doing stuff. She's also an activist. She supports good causes. And she didn't talk about it a lot of the time. She just gets on with it and does it. And that's what the the whole point of um, community, communal living, socialism is, as far as I'm concerned. So we're on the same page there. It all sounds very serious, but actually it's quite a lot of fun, this interview. So um hope you enjoy it. Here she is, the amazing... Sarah Jane Morris. How's it going? Hello, darling. Just trying to get get rid of all this. Ah, we there. Hello, love. Yeah. Otis is here for a quick one. Hello. Hi, Otis. How you going? You right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I'm I'm all good. Yeah. You're a bit boring. Turn into a full time podcast you really have i've been checking you out <laughs> what else is there to do you know yeah, that's I, true I, if i just sat around at home with lansley we'd just kill each other so you know i, I spend all my time in my studio alone in tile yard now so uh 
I quite like it actually. I've never done that before. Being completely alone and self-focused, you know. It's quite nice. Um, how are you anyway? Still holding on to some form of sanity. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, no, no, we're fine. I, I mean, I've I've had a the good things about it. I'm never at home normally. I'm always on flights and away. And it's actually been very nice to have a year at home. But, you know, obviously not performing and having no income and all of that, that's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, we had 40-odd gigs cancelled last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's going to be, I don't know. I, you know, I'm trying not to be negative, but it, yes. I, I, I think realistically it's going to be another year. Yeah, before it takes back. Yeah, I mean, most as you know, most of my gigs are in Italy and they're, they're, yeah. they're going to be opening up earlier than us like they did last year too. It's whether I can get over there and whether these 24-hour COVID tests you've had to have negative test before you can enter a theatre. And how the hell do you do that? What? Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yes. So it's, it's, quite, it's quite complicated. I went to the Fenice yeah. in um, in April, and they they got this new regime where they had the um, the performers they taken all the stall seats out and put the performers where the stalls were, and put the audience on the stage and in the boxes. And it was only like I mean, obviously socially distanced, and uh, there was only like 150 people allowed in. Yes, yeah. And it's not an economic model. Yes. I mean, yes. you can't make it work. It's no. not even operate can work. No. Um, also, it sounded terrible because all, uh, you know, the whole place is designed to have human beings in it. Yeah, yeah, to absorb so it, that it, sound. It yeah. sounded like an IKEA warehouse. You know, yes. it didn't really work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, that's enough for the moaning. Let's Get less. We're both very positive people. Aren't yes, we? we are. We are, and and I've 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 got really got into heavily into into because when I split up with David, um, I I went to uh, the Chelsea School of Art and I studied interior design. So with this new because we'd only just moved in when lockdown happened, right. only a few months before. So I've been having a great time, make you know, on a sewing machine or wallpapering and doing outrageous things to our house. So I've got brilliant. Yeah, I love that idea. You should do a TV program. Yeah, fact, you should be on. You should be on TV full stop. Actually, I think um, you need to get your agent onto it. Never yeah. mind all. Never mind all this jazz bollocks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We'd, you'd all you'd be skint if it was if it wasn't for for your fantastic career in jazz. I know that, um, like me. Well, I'm not skint, but you know. Um, anyway, let's start this properly. Then, I mean, I, I like all this chit chat at the start. You know, which yes, is kind yes. of because we reconnect. Yeah, yeah. Because we haven't seen each other for ages. In we haven't, flash, darling. We haven't. Do you remember that lovely time that you and um, Lansley were in Venice when we were yeah. doing our gig in Venice and you managed to... Yes, do you remember that? That, that was great. That was great. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you, all right, uh, just a bit more personal stuff before we start. Yes, yes. Um, a couple of years ago, I sold my place in Venice um, because we needed the money for... School fees. Education, education and stuff like that. Um, but we are now downsizing our place in Primrose Hill. Yes. So... 
Um, we're just in the process of having a million viewings every day. It's really irritating. But anyway, um, that's going to happen hopefully in the next couple of months. And as soon as do the second I do that and the money's in the bank, I've got my eye on um, get, uh, uh, buying a new place in Venice. Venice so uh, uh, I, I know where I want to live. It's on the south side of the Judeca. Yeah. Uh, they're really peaceful uh, views overlooking the south side of the lagoon. Yeah. And but you're only like 150 meters away. Is that away the from opposite the side to where you were? The yeah. Well, yeah. kind of. It's a bit further down in the middle near yeah. the plank the boat stop. Yeah. Yeah. And if you walk down that way, sorry, this is nobody. Who, people who don't know Venice will think this is very strange. But anyway, if you near the Planka boat stop on the Judeca, if you walk down toward uh, down there towards the south side of the island, there's a development called uh, that used to be a Youngen's watch factory. It's like a kind, you know, one of those uh, urban redevelopments of warehouses, and it's all super modern and air conditioned and beautiful and cheap compared to London. Yes, yes. Um, you can get a hundred square meter apartment for like half a million euros. Yeah, that might sound like an awful lot of money, but if you try to get that in central London, you're looking yeah. at three times that amount yeah. minimum. So, anyway, well, you know, depending. Is this part of the podcast, by the way, or is this? It is, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I was going to say, um, because Brexit has has very definitely you know, <laughs> ruined any kind of touring, and and ninety uh, percent of my earnings are in Italy. Yeah, you know, I, I might have to in the future consider living there. Well, the great thing is, we managed. We saw this uh, particular perfect storm coming over the horizon, and we managed to get. Um, all of us get uh, Irish passports. So um, me and Lansley and Ellen and Gabriel have all got Irish passports now. So that really oh, helped. Wonderful. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's, let's, um, let's start, you know, let's start with Italy because we both love Italy so much. We've got so many things in common, me yeah. and you. Um, yes. And I'm, we go I, back a long, know, long way back. Yeah, I know we don't have to um we don't have to do this interview in chronological order. I'm a bit bored with all that. So let's start with Italy and um our mutual yeah. love. How did that all start for you? Start for me. Well, when I, I went to drama school and training to be an actress, and I left um before the end of you know, before the time when you get your agent and you're sold to the National Theatre and the RSC. I left with a big chip on my shoulder and I joined an Italian rock band. I, I answered an ad in, um, it was in the Melody Maker and it was in the stage because this Italian band had a, a deal with Atlantic Records and they needed an English or American Janis Joplin type singer. Right. And I found it myself. I had no musical training whatsoever. I'd never studied music at school or anything, but I, you know, it, it appealed to me and I love Janis Joplin. So I moved over. Um, not speaking any Italian, and I lived in Fiesole in, in initially, uh, just outside of Florence. And then oh. I'm, I found it too lonely because the drummer whose house it was, he was, was like a bide of mine off retreat, and he was a hermit. <laughs> you know, he, he didn't get up till the night, and he spoke no English. And I had no money, and yeah. I didn't speak language. So it was, it was like I was felt trapped. And How and old were you at this I point? Was, I was 20, 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So um, I then moved into the centre of Florence 
to live with, I'd met a friend by that point and she lived in Via Santa Spirito. So we're talking right bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hub. And that suited me much more. So that was my first introduction to Italy. And I was, I did it on one of those one year cardboard passports because I'd never been abroad before then. Shit. I, you know, we're moving house and I've got boxes of stuff everywhere and I've been going through all my old stuff. And I found one of those cardboard passports. I forgot all about them. They're ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So I'd gone on, you know, just on this one year passport. And then they we recorded, we toured. I just before one of the concerts in this spider mine after a type retreat, yeah. um, it was a circular stair iron staircase, and I tripped up it and damaged my knee. Sure. And because they had to go and start touring, what they did was take me along to a hospital where it was just plastered up. It wasn't looked at what was wrong. It's plastered mm. up. So I developed it, it, it kind of led to me doing what my band called the constipated octopus dance. <laughs> had this totally straight, <laughs> stiff leg, and I had to dance with it. And I kind of danced like that ever since. But <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> but, good. Um, yeah, but I had to I had sort of tour with this sort of damaged knee. And then I think after about three or four months, I, I really missed home and I'd come from a pretty dysfunctional family and I think I, I told you years ago that my dad when I was 17 went to prison and he was just coming out of prison and no, I so I went back home and yeah 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 and um so you know it was and that was probably another reason why I didn't complete drama school you know, I, I had a huge chip on my shoulder. I was, it was, a, it was a very weird last part of my teens. And, wow. and, and at drama school, I felt that everyone was the son and daughter of somebody famous. And I was the, the daughter of someone in, inside. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, so that was the beginning of my love for Italy. And then I went back. The next time I go back is with the Communard, with the number one hit. So that was a, a, you know, a few years. How many years later would that be? Six years later. Right, right, right. But right. but you know that was that was huge. And then, um, just before you and I worked together again, I had been asked to take part in. Um, well, oh no, no, to beg pardon. Before that, before that, for my first solo tour because I'd signed to Jive Records after the Communards. Yeah. And for the first solo tour, I supported Simply Red around Europe. And that's it, a lot of red hair going on there. A lot of red hair, and I'm sure that's why I got the gig, because I was <laughs> a redhead. And, yeah. and in Italy, they treat, unlike the rest of Europe, they treated me like a double bill. They oh. thought I must be Mick's sister. And the, yeah. they, I had the most fantastic press, not like a support would normally have. And Much I, better looking, I have to say. Thank you, darling. But um, it, it did help open the doors for me in Italy. Hmm. And that particular year, um, I won the, the keys to the city of, of Verona because I played in the amphitheatre. You were there as well. With yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Yeah. And, and my, part of my award for, for that was um, this freedom of the city. But unfortunately, I didn't realise, I was too busy that whole year 
promoting. I didn't realize right. it was one year length. Oh, no. By the time I wanted to cash it in, <laughs> it was gone. It was out of Oh, tape. my goodness. But, it, but what a fantastic honor. Yeah, a wonderful honor. And to play as you did oh my times, God. in the arena. That's what, what a history. And it's, it's mental, that place. There's, um, I mean, I saw, um, what did I see? I saw Franco Zeffirelli's production of Aida there. Now, this is all a bit highfalutin for maybe some of our podcast listeners, but I, I love opera, so I make no apologies. Um, and this is one of the most amazing opera auditoria in the world. And, and Franco Zeffirelli started the entire show, the opening scene had about 150 people on stage, plus donkeys, plus dogs, plus, 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 everybody in costume. It was completely crazy, crazy ass shit. And uh, anyway, I love, I love Verona. And uh, by the way, this is just an informal aside. Have you ever been to a restaurant called La Bottega del Vino in, uh, in Verona? It's really famous. Has it got this un uh, unbelievable wine vault underneath? Yes. yes. It's like yes. it's got a it's got a wine list which is like um, it's like something out of Harry Potter. You know, it's like it's about two inches thick and leather bound. And do you know, and I think I've had some of the best food I've ever had there. Oh well, not just the food. It's got the best Italian wine cellar in the world. Yes. And the, the week before I first went there, I was introduced by a friend of mine from Venice. Um, the week before I went there, uh, he knows uh, he knew that Carlo, my friend Carlo, who lived in Venice, um, knew the, the um, sommelier there. And in the basement where the original wine cellars are, where they keep all this shit, they have a private dining room for about, I don't know, a dozen people. And he said... The two weeks previously, they'd had Prince Philip and his crew and, uh, separately, Bill Gates and his top executives. <laughs> this obviously is like one of those kind of Bilderberg things, right? Yes. Um, it, they had bottles of wine that were bricked up um, in, in the walls uh, of, of a farmhouse nearby to hide them from the Nazis in the Second World War. The last bottles of a viniculture which now no longer exists, of a grape that no longer exists, uh, from nine, this is from 1943, and they got discovered like 20 years later when they were doing some renovations. Wow. They, these bottles are, they cost like £20,000 a yes. bottle. Yes. But they can't, they've not re-decanted them or anything. Yeah. So they, I said, what happens if they're caught? Because they probably are at that, at that point. I said, oh, you buy the risk. He says, "Yeah, I'm going. I think you've got to have an awful lot of money to buy twenty grand's worth of <laughs> wine for one, and buy the risk in case it's not even drinkable. Yeah. You know, that's just showing off, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but they also had like you know, 1930s bottles of brandy and whiskey, really rare stuff, and also um, the some of the first bottles ever made of Penfolds, which is the most famous Australian Chardonnay." Uh, from the 60s when they first started producing it and they were, they were like 15,000 pounds a bottle I'm going what 
and then there was then they had like 10 euro bottles right as well i love oh i love italy so much. yes so do i, I, I miss it. for italy yes i miss it oh. terribly i mean normally last year i would have been i'm normally on a flight four times a week to italy i know and uh it's been so bizarre to not have that in my life i mean i i i follow uh, it sounds like a stalker. It's not meant to be. I, because uh, you're my friend, I do follow your activities on Facebook, and I'm in constant awe of your your um, your work online with your social media. I don't know if you have anybody to help you with that, but you work that shit. <laughs> I have to say, you're an inspiration, not only in terms of your positivity and your you know, your talent, but just your sheer stickability and, 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 and intent to do good work all the time. Well, I, I mean, I, you, know, I love you know, like James Brown used to say, I'm the hardest working man in show business. Well, I think you are right up there for the hardest working woman in show business. Oh, thank you, darling. I, I, I love people. I love connecting with people. I am one of those people that after a concert spends at least an hour talking to my audience yes. and a lot of my audience have become friends you know there are some great people out there yeah. and um and and a lot of my my audience that became friends have educated me in music and and politics and just life so i'm i'm very enriched by that but um facebook is a way of uh, for me it's a way of being a connect connect with friends and fans yeah. And I do care. I am interested in people. It is a genuine thing. Me too. Yeah. I know you are. I know. We're, we're both people with, luckily, with big open hearts. I also, yeah. I also come from that world of sharing. Mm. Not everyone in the music business does. But I, I have, you know, I've been very fortunate that even though I had a, a, a very troubled childhood and teenagehood and, you know, have, have an easy road, I've also, I have been very privileged, you know. I mean, I did have a number one hit when I was 26 years old. I did travel the world. I did get to know what that was about. I was able to, uh, before the the record industry imploded, I was able to get a, a deal and and yeah. and then I was eventually able to set up my own label. So that's, yeah. that's very privileged. I might not earn lots of money. I might not, you know, be sitting incredibly comfortably. But in a way, when you're not, I have noticed that, you do some of your best work because you yeah. are still connected. You know, you're connected, still, but also motivated. You're motivated and, 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 and you can't do a tour unless you've got product. How do you find the money to make that album? How do you, you know, what bartering do you do? You know, yeah. what can you do for a friend so they can do, play something on your album? You know, exactly. and, and that keeps it all fresh and... and Quid pro quo, as they call it, quid, don't they? Quid pro quo. And, and luckily I've, because I I am, I like to share, I have a lot of young people coming to me for contacts, for advice. I love that. I love to pass it on. I am not Do one you? of those people that go, no, that's mine. You go and find that out for yourself. Yeah, I, yeah, I like yeah. to pass that on, especially if someone's properly interested. And if they track me down, it means that they, they know what I stand for and yeah, what I'm about. Definitely. Already, it's a, it's a, a win. Um. On that subject, are you interested? You know that I'm principal of Talyard Education now, and yes. we run master's master course. Brilliant! And you're just involving wonderful Richard. Uh, yeah. Oh, he's great. He's fantastic, and he's a dear uh, friend. 
I've just done a, a podcast with him actually, and but we just get on like house on fire. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? He's such a lovely guy, isn't he? But he's also so witty, and because um... Richard Strange for the audience who's not not aware is an uh, ex Doctors of Madness who was a, who were a big influence on me when I was growing up. Anyway, carry on, sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you were talking about about. Oh yeah, I know. I was going to say. Um, because I do all this education stuff, I do a lot of lecturing now, and I've I've always been interested in share, in knowledge sharing, yes, you and and stuff in general, and that's probably why they asked me to do this job, and I've become ensnared, I'd call it, in the world of helping young people. I mean, I start it started out as something I thought, oh, do I have time to do this? You know, I'm getting paid to do it, obviously, and but you know, do can I dedicate? enough energy to it to, to to help them because they need help young yes. people need yes. help yes. absolutely especially in this time what a year for them if we haven't had a tough time it's appalling oh it's, yeah. it really is it really is you know I've, I've, I've got a brother with triplets 18 year old triplets and uh, they're wondering what the hell is happening to their life you know yeah what? I mean, I lost I lost my brother to COVID last year. I'm so sorry, Mike. Yeah, in December, it was awful. It was, I don't want to go into it, but no. um, I, for anybody who says it's all exaggerated, I can assure you it's not. It's certainly um, <laughs> um, But anyway, getting back to the education thing, yes. I was going to say to you, I would like to bring you in to Tile Yard, either on Zoom or, you know, when, or hopefully in the flesh at some point in the future, to share your experience uh, with the young people uh, from point of view of performance, but also songwriting, positivity. I mean, you, you know, you, I couldn't think of a much better life coach for people who are looking to make the best out of what essentially started out for you as uh, accident. Not a, it was an accident. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But but I'm always trying to inspire uh, the, my students in a time of uh, of conceptual difficulty like this to go. No matter what the adversity is, you can get through it and with a positive frame of mind. Yeah. And I think you're a great example. So anyway, I'd be offline, I'd be, I'd be honoured. Offline, I will talk to you about this separately because but, but I think, that's a yes from me. Oh, excellent. You see. The default is yes, listeners. You know, uh, if, if, if it proves to be a nightmare, then obviously you've got to reassess, but I don't think this would be. Let's talk about the communards. Yeah. Tell me how that came about. Well, that was, that was I, the first drama college I went to in Stratford-on-Avon, which is where I, first, the, time, the time I first met you, because yeah. I was, uh, uh, my boyfriend then was sharing um, a flat with Ian Reddington, one of your dear friends, <laughs> my dear friend too, you, you've known him forever. Yeah. And um, so I, I was at drama college there. And this, at this point, this is when my dad had gone to prison. And it was, um, it was a course that was, it was my introduction to social, socialism, because the guy who ran the course was the leading authority on Bertolt Brecht in the country. Of course, right. you know that 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 yeah. spoke to me. It's all about alienation, and I felt incredibly alienated by society because I was treated. My school had not known how to deal with a family whose father had gone to prison, and so we right. we all felt alienation. So anyway, that that kind of spoke to me, and then um, I a few years after me, my one of my brothers, I've got six, went to this and did the same course, and Richard Coles 
was in his year and they became friends. <laughs> right. So I knew Richard when he was a young, you know, sort of young teenager. And I was sort of starting to, to do all sorts of interesting things musically in London. And I got very involved. I was in a wonderful band, 25-piece big band, political big band called The Happy End. Right. And we did everything from, we did a lot of Brecht music, but we did Irish, Irish political music. We did a whole tribute to Mao Zedong called Mao Zedong in Cheek. We did a whole <laughs> Chinese section. We did <laughs> Civil War music. You know, it was, it was a brilliant, brilliant band. And we did a couple of albums for Cooking Vinyl. And it was a brilliant point in my life for friendship and, and for politics and for music. We made, we made politics swing. But um, right, let's talk about what, what, what we did get involved with was the minor strike. Yes. And J Jimmy and Richard kind of connected at the end of Bronsky Beat. J yeah. Richard joined to play sax sort of towards the end of Bronsky Beat. They, they got very heavily involved with the minor strike in their way. And I, with a happy end, we, we connected with Kay Sutcliffe, who is a Kent Miner's wife. And she wrote these brilliant lyrics. Uh, and we turned it into, we recorded it and turned it into a song, which became the anthem of the minor strike, Call Not Doll. And so we did hundreds of miners' benefits that year. We were going all over the country. And um, Jimmy, Richard, before that, I'd been in a band called The Republic, which had mm. been an African-Caribbean Latin band. And one of the singles re did really well in the gay clubs. And I was singing in a mock operatic voice. My spies are in position around your house. With this kind of Middle Eastern <laughs> dance beat. It was really weird. And apparently, when Richard and Jimmy met, and Richard started to tell Jimmy about me, he said, oh, no, she's a man. It's a man singing that. <laughs> so, so what happened was Richard brought Jimmy along to see me at this minus benefit to prove to him that I was a woman. Wow. And we, we then met through this brilliant situation, this, the minus strike that we were both heavily involved with. And we laughed at the fact that, you know, he was a petite red-headed man with a high voice and I was a very tall red-headed woman with a low voice. <laughs> And we just really clicked. And they had just, so he just formed the Communance. I think they had just recorded You're My World, their first single. Mm. But they were just sort of wondering what to do. And, and Jimmy said, well, we ought to do something together. And I said, mm. well, look, you know, I, I'm, I'm in Brixton. And he said, there's a gave, gave the word bookshop um, charity event. They'd been asked to do at the fridge, across the road to where I lived. Yeah. Would you do that with me? And I said, yeah. And we couldn't think, well, they were busy promoting You're My World. So there was no time to actually get together and rehearse anything for it. So I was thinking, oh, I, can't, I can't cope with that. So I sent this idea um, by, I must have rung him up and said, what about the two of us duet Billie Holiday's Lover Man? Because it's going to be so camp, the two of us yeah. arguing yeah. over the same guy. Yeah, like and he and that's what we did on stage at the fridge with this wonderfully camp audience who thought this was wonderful, Jimmy and I, 
camping it up <laughs> on stage. Record company, London Records, was in the audience. Suddenly I'm asked to go to America to record the album with them. They saw the magic. Yes. They saw how good we were together. And that's how it mm -hmm. happened, just purely I, by accident. I have to say that I love the communards, number one, but um, and I love you, of course, but uh, the... Oh, this is turning into a lovey fest, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> just realised. Um, but I am an enormous fan of Jimmy. I, I think wonderful man. He's an firstly, he's an incredible, incredible advocate for uh, for LGBT stuff. Yes. Not, a, but right from the very outset, he's <laughs> a socialist, which you and I both are. Yeah. And I want to talk about socialism in a minute. Yeah because uh, I've got uh, I've got my soapbox out and I'm about to where uh, I, I finally found somebody I could completely know I know who would relate to what I'm about to say um, yeah and um, well can I say about Jimmy he's he he politics all the way through yeah he's yeah. true I mean he lives not far from me in Brighton because I'm down here in St Leonard's down by the sea and um, I mean I get to perform with him two or three times a year when we do the Rewind Festivals. And I sometimes see you at those, yeah. but um, you, you're often too busy doing your other huge concerts somewhere else. So it's lovely to reconnect. He and I didn't actually see each other for probably about 20 years. No. And then we first connect, reconnected when he asked me for his um, to perform in Brighton with him. And we actually saw each other for the first time on stage in front of thousands of people. Yeah. And it was electric. We were right back there, except oh, I, need two, I need two knee replacements. So I tried, oh. Oh, I, I did do all the dancing. Afterwards, I couldn't walk, you know. But his energy, and he, he looks the same because he's, he's always been a vegetarian. He's always cycled. So he's still incredibly lean, fit. Mm. He always had the flat top. So having no hair, looks the same and exactly. uh, he's a very vital vital man and a lovely yeah. human being a lovely friend uh, i think the I, I saw them perform with with his new band yeah and to me um because he's got some obviously some younger people in the band now and and the energy that was being given off from the stage not just by his performance but by the the audience. He's they obviously love a highly collaborative dude, isn't he? he he's a he's he, he's a man who believes in the collective. Yes, always. And yes. the energy coming off that stage, I just thought if it felt like this was a new band. Yeah. You know, he, I know it's in the Rewind Festival, but it just yeah. felt so vital and and amazing. And I never got to see you guys live. That's so much. His voice. His voice is so oh. incredible. It's, yeah, I mean, actually, yeah. I might, I might try and contact him and get him on the podcast. He just reminded me. Um, so, idea. politics, right? Here we go. Um, do you know? I've come to to a point uh, after all the shit that's happened in the last few years where I'm going. Can I deal with the uh, opprobrium that I that I draw whenever I stand up for what I believe is right? And uh, from time to time, I've weakened and just gone, look, I can't, I just don't want to deal with it at this point in my life. I've got other things. It's taking too much energy. But, and that's why I've not really mentioned uh, anything. People who know me, you know, we don't need that fascist group thing and stuff. Um, 
obviously a lot of our fans listen to this, but you'd be amazed how many people who like M17, which I find astonishing, are, 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 are Tories. It just blows my fucking mind yes. completely. We've got, to the any- po- we've got to the point, my husband and I, where we were talking about this on our, on our dog walk. Because that's that's what's keeping us sane too. Is yeah, every yeah. morning we walk on the on the beach when the tide is out. Often when there's no one there and it's dark, but um, we were saying that we've got to the point where if a Tory MP dared to knock at our door, we wouldn't know whether we could hold ourselves back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's um, let's say. I mean, we were both part of Red Wedge in the eighties. Yeah which we haven't mentioned yet. Um, and I and going back to the minor strike, I produced a minor strike record with um, Paul Weller um, with uh, various other people who were, who were involved in that. And that, that was a nice thing to do. And, you know, obviously I come from a family of uh, steel workers, as does Glenn. And, you know, I was actually, I actually saw the stuff that went on Prior to Orgree, for instance, I was going up the M1 in a friend's car um, towards uh, going to see my team play Sheffield Wednesday uh, in Sheffield. And we got stopped on the motorway. It was a full full on block of the entire motorway police. I'm going, what, what's going on here? And it turned out to be the Orgree thing. And I'm going, are we now in a country where they can just stop people freely moving around? I mean, that seems quite mild now compared to what's going on. But um, yeah. It's awful, isn't it? We we have no leadership. It's 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 uh, no. it's, it's 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 appalling, and it's all about it's all about money and greed. That's all it else. is. That's all it is. It's all about the money. Follow the money. That will explain everything. Yeah. And I hate to say that the leadership of the Labour Party. I'm appalled. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, because he's my M- he's my MP. I actually. Uh, he was spouting all this like I'm best buddies with um, with with Jeremy Corbyn and like you know they might not have identical views but you know we we respect uh, each other and blah blah blah. So I actually did a DJ gig for him yeah. uh, when he was and he was filmed and I got somebody to film it for him and as a favour did it before he, he got elected. And as soon as the second he got elected, he's just turned into a complete arsehole. Yes. What the fuck? They are so divided. Uh, but at a time where the opposition party should be at its strongest and going for the throat again and again and again, there's nothing. Yeah. So the, the favourite thing is now is not the time. Well, if now is not the time, when is the time? There is Obviously that's not a, in our lifetime. No, it's a fallacious argument. So anyway, this is another reason why I'm buying a place in Venice, uh, because I, I think it's almost like, um, well, Plague Island, isn't it? It's like, it's like, but it's also going to become, you know, the UK, I fear, is going to become just a casino capitalist. Yeah playground and you know central london for instance is i mean the process has been happening for quite a while but central london is almost going to become like a gated community for rich people you know yeah. uh, so all the beautiful things like soho is getting completely rinsed out now um oh, you know anyway don't get me started <laughs> let's move on to positive things yes. uh tell me why uh, I, I can't remember this but uh, me and mrs jones yeah 
Why was that banned again? So it was banned because I'd I'd had my you know first big success with the Communards. Yeah, we, we were uh, as a Jimmy was, but as a band, we were known for fighting for gay rights. Yeah. You know, we were very much there against Clause Twenty Eight, and um, we were very involved with Terence Higgins Trust, and and Jimmy was one of the first um, artists who, who properly came out. And, and and yeah, that's right. You know, because uh, Boy George and and um, George Michael were neither of them were out. Everybody knew George was gay, but it, it wasn't yeah, like course. he was using that as a as a vehicle. And um, uh, what were we, what, what, sorry, what was the question? I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten. We're just rambling now, aren't we? <laughs> Good Lord. Have we got to that? I can't remember what the question was either. Sorry, I've just been making some notes about the next question, so I can't remember. <laughs> Should we just move on? <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's uh, age, darling. Oh, no, never mind, eh? So, um, oh, I know. Why was it banned, me and Mrs. Oh, me and Mrs. Jones, yeah. So, um, I then signed to... I was offered a, a lot of solo deals on the back of this number one hit. Yeah. And I decided to go with Jive. And I, I wasn't a writer at this point. I'd never written a song in my life at that point. I just covered lots of great songs. And um, so I, because uh, I'd met them on the Red Wedge tour, The Wonderful Madness, I yeah. became good friends with them. And I then was managed by their manager. And so they allowed me to, in fact, I used quite a few of them on the demos, but they allowed me to use their studio to demo some songs. Right. Two of which I quickly wrote with someone in the happy end. I think they were probably atrocious because you know, <laughs> it's like picking up from being a 17-year-old A-level student. That's where I was at. Yeah. One of the songs that I'd sung to, I, I, one of my brothers was 14 years younger than me. So I had sung me and Mrs. Jones to him to get him to sleep. And it's a song that I, I'd always loved. Yeah, so I used that as, as one of the demo songs. Jive loved it. So I recorded it twice. I recorded it once in Minneapolis at Prince's studio with amazing jazz musicians, yeah, yeah. most of um, Dave Sanborn's band. And then the other wow. one I recorded with, with some of the original musicians from New York. So there's one soul version, one jazz version. And then what happened was, um, I think it was Mike Reed. I can't remember which, I think he was the DJ that decided that it had been okay to come out as a gay man, but nobody had come out as a gay woman. Right. This is four years before Katie Lang introduced her beautiful self and everybody celebrated that. And it wasn't okay. They were terrified that I was coming out because I didn't change the lyric to me and Mr. Jones. It yes. Worked. Me and Mr. Jones. That doesn't work. The S makes yeah. all the difference. Yeah, yeah. So I'd yeah. never thought that that would cause a problem. I just sung it because it was a great song. Yeah. And they were terrified. Radio One seemed rather disturbed that I might be a glamorous lesbian coming out of the closet on the back of this song. So it was pulled. So I, well, had, all right. I had so, no Frankie Goes to Hollywood big band where no, no, everybody no. buys it. It was I was just removed. I suddenly didn't exist. Yes. Guess who? Uh, guess who banned fascist groove thing? Mike Reed. Mike Reed. Guess what he does now? Well, you know what he does now. He's the <laughs> he's the cultural advisor to the Brexit party. That used to be the Brexit party. I didn't know that, but that's so yep. fits. And this is the funny bit. So Mike Reed 
uh, is associated with. Uh, he turns up in the in the press tent at various rewind gigs and and eighties gigs, as because uh, he, he works for Radio Reading or something, and uh, or Radio Berkshire. That's it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, he comes up to me, bold as brass, and goes, "All right, Martin, how are you going?" I'm going. You fucked me up, Mike. What what the what the fuck was that all about? He went, ha, you know, oh, smashy nicey territory, right? Absolutely. And I, I give him I give him both barrels and he just, he just completely the, the skin of a rhino. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He only does the same thing again about three or four more times. And he's going, Oh, would you appear on my program? Would you do I'm going, Mike, fuck off. Have you forgotten our history? <laughs> either you've forgotten what happened or you know anyway mike if you're listening to this on the off chance fuck off yeah um big time uh, uh, doubled fuck off because of uh Sarah party. As well. i didn't realize that uh you're the cousin of armistead morpin yeah so that was it was really interesting how that was found out so um during the year that my dad was dying i was it was when i was pregnant with with otis and i was up doing I was in um what was I in blues in the night I was at the Liverpool Everyman Theatre I was there for three months heavily right. pregnant and um dad kept ringing I didn't know if I was going to see him again you know I was in this yeah. and he kept ringing telling me about our background because he had married my mum he came from a very wealthy family married my mum who was working class girl wrote written out of a family so I didn't know any of my cousins or any of the family. Right. It was not something I knew anything about. So he told me that he was trying to sort of fill me in with a history that nobody else could give me. And he said um, that his grandfather had gone, had left his grandmother. They were Christian scientists, so they couldn't divorce. Oh, my God. Yeah, Christian scientists. Right. It's a good job I didn't get to know them, eh? But yeah. anyway, he, um, and he ran off with... Uh, grandmother's best friend who was a suffragette who they'd met through suffragists yeah both being suffragettes and um she was an actress and they ran off together saying they were husband and wife but they weren't he was a lot older than her right. and went and had this family in america and that's armistead so armistead is my father's cousin Wow. So he's my second cousin once removed. And what happened was he, dad, as he was dying, said, "By the, you told me about this whole family. And he told me, because they'd done a family tree, that uh, it was Armistead Mopat. And I, I'd, of course, read all his books. I'd seen Tales of the City on HBO. And um, so I wrote to his, his publisher thinking, you know, yeah, this might be one of Dad's lies because Dad didn't always tell the truth, and and, yeah. I, and so I had to cover myself, saying I've been led to believe that oh, yeah. this is my cousin, and 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 filled filled it in a little bit to the publisher, and then within an hour I had a I had an email back from Armistead saying you're right, a family tree's been done. How amazing is it that we are cousins? Wow. Now we had met, but not knowing we were cousins at this. Um, Gaze the Word bookshop concert that I did with Jimmy because he was there reading from his book Tales of the Fallen Angel. My record label is called Fallen Angel. Oh, Records. how weird is that? We didn't know, I didn't know him then. Oh, that's synchronicity, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, and I, Otis, and I got to um, 
perform for him at the British Library for the launch of his last book. And he came to the launch of my last album. He's now living in London with his husband. Is he? Yeah, he's moved to London. How amazing. Yeah, and so it's, that's, it's wonderful because it, his sister, Jane, uh, she was a llama farmer in, in, uh, uh, in New Zealand. Uh, do you know, I'll tell you who else is a llama farmer, Bananarama. You're no, I just made that up. <laughs> It sounds nice. It does. But, um, when, <laughs> Bananarama Lama Farmer. Well, when... Um, uh, oh, God. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm having one of, those, you're right. one of the senior moments. One of our most glorious... Um, Ian McKellen. When Ian McKellen was doing um, uh, Lord of the Rings, he stayed yeah. with Jane. Because, of course, they were filming most right. in, New, in New Zealand. And, and he is... Armistead's best friend, Ian McKellen. They're, they're great, great friends. But but Jane is the sister I never had. And we, what was great is we as adults chose each other. And that's a very yeah. different way to have a rel relative. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been lucky with my family. I love them all. But um, I know a lot of people would have loved to have chosen their family. Yes. <laughs> had the accident of birth thing. Um, I, I, okay. I like you, I've got six brothers and I love them all. And they're yeah. very different. One of them lives in the same town as me, which is fantastic. Oh, that's but great. We Zoom each other and, and stay in contact with yeah, family yeah, yeah. WhatsApp. And yeah. that's keeping us sort of connected. But yeah, I love this big extended family. Uh, me too, yeah. Um, right, we have got about a quarter of an hour left, I reckon. So um, let's crack on. So you did a thing with uh, Peter Hamill, didn't you? The Fall of the House of Usher. I did. I love Peter Hamill. He's fantastic. He came and sung at my... Well, you 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 saw yeah. him went at, at my wedding to David. Yeah, he came yeah. and sung. So he's extraordinary vocalist and and songwriter and he asked me to take part with with um um lena lovich and with andy bell yeah uh he'd written this opera uh, and asked us all to to perform within it and it was fantastic we were going to be performing it in in uh where was it in barcelona i think in in the in a palace in barcelona uh but I don't know. I think it's probably financially we couldn't quite make it happen. But the album was brilliant. Working with all of those singers, extraordinary. And then he and I, we found out that we worked really well together. So we did, we did a couple of, of tracks together. But one was for this incredibly famous um, Japanese koto player. And uh, what happens on this this album is uh, Peter and I are trading uh, lines with this koto player. And you don't know which is Peter and which is which is wow. Peter. We, we we just glide so well into each other. Wow. He's, a, he's a glorious, glorious musician. He's an amazing songwriter. I mean, I those Van de Graaff Generator albums and his solo albums from from the seventies and eighties. Yeah, I still play them, and I just think some of those songs are the most deeply emotionally affecting things yeah. that I've ever listened to. And I tell you who else is a massive Peter Hamill fan is John Lydon. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And if you listen and to Peter John Gabriel Lydon, is. Yeah. Because Peter Gabriel gets, gets Peter to do all of his backing vocals for his album. They, right. they, they help each other with backing vocals. They've remained. I didn't because because um, Peter Gabriel supported Van de Graaff Generator to start with. Because in Italy... Van de Graaff Generator were huge. 
Yeah. And then that helped launch uh, Peter's solo career there. And he became huge, obviously, everywhere, all over the yeah. world. But he was, you know, Genesis were very influenced by, by that. Wow, I didn't know that. But if you listen to John Lydon's voice, there is some Peter Hamill in there. Ah. That kind of ranting, rantiness that was part of the whole Van de Graaff Generator thing. Listen, for people who are listening to the podcast... If you're not familiar, if you just go, if you just chucked the whole of prog rock in the bin because you think it's not trendy, uh, don't. Number one, don't. Number two, go and listen to Van de Graaff Generator. Uh, listen to the song, um, oh God, Wondering. Oh, yes. That's such a beautiful song. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many great songs that he's written. Um, there's a great, uh, my favorite album is probably. Horn Hearts, ultimately, and uh, Plague of Lighthouse Keepers. You're a proper it. fan, aren't you? That's great. I am, yeah. I am. I really love all that would shit. Would you like to do a uh, podcast with Peter? I would. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll connect you, darling. Would you? Yeah. Oh, my God. This is how it all works, you see, because there are, I'm trying to keep the standard up, love. Yes. You know? <laughs> You're doing very well. <laughs> we don't want any riff or raff, do we? So... So, um, you know, I keep getting nice uh, emails from people saying, my God, the, these are amazing. Uh, not because of me, but because of the guests that I'm getting. So I want to keep the standard as high as humanly possible because I really believe that people need to have a kind of in-depth but informal exposure to people's yeah. potted histories. Yeah. I know you're doing your autobiography. I'm doing mine at the yes, moment. Yes, I know. Well, you done so many things my goodness me well if i if i was getting paid by name dropping i think i'd i'd be a millionaire already <laughs> I, I'm, I think the index will take a third of the book yes <laughs> oh by the way what was interesting was when i so i i, I did a concert not last year the year before and it was in um I think it was in Verona actually it was huge took over the whole square and and it was the artist formerly known as Terence Trendarby no, Fernando yes. Mitrea. No, we did a double bill. And what was bizarre was Tim was playing with me, Tim Catsfield. And of course right. he played because he was he was working. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. He played time. on me. Yeah. They, they, um, they didn't acknowledge each other. Uh, but I've become a funny old bugger. But I've he's become still... quite good friends with him in a you know, in a, a roundabout way. He's oh. an interesting what a what a voice and oh I and mean, his voice is still as good as ever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he but wrote he's... some great songs. But uh, I'm, I mean, I don't know him well, but I know him because of being part of the Italian scene. He's married to yeah. a very beautiful woman. They live in Milan. He's got a lovely family and he's got a That's whole right. other yeah. life, a new life, uh, nothing to do with, with that. I've got, a, I've got an interesting story, um, which is a couple of years ago, I was asked to curate the or put together a bill for the main stage at this thing called Vintage at, Good, at Goodwood with uh, Wayne Hemingway. And um, and it was, they were doing lots of uh, unusual one-off kind of event. Uh, you know, we performed it, but there were things like, um, they were asking me to find unusual collaborations. So I, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I was approached by a friend of mine, say, this was just after James Brown had died. And... Um, the JBs were looking for work, right? And I said, "Well, why don't we get JBs over, and we'll get we'll, we'll get Terence to sing James's role." Wow! 
and I thought one that would be like yeah. I and then and I had to be there moment, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I I contacted him and asked him, and he sent me. I think it was a fifteen-page handwritten letter. That's the way he wasn't going to. In the style of Kai, it was almost like Samuel Pepys. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, he, he, yes. Very florid. Yes. Uh, uh, purple prose. Yes. Saying, and it, uh, I'll, I'll pray see it for you over my dead body. Would I ever come back to the UK? Let alone expose myself to these slings and arrows of outrageous critics, um, you know, etc. Yeah. So, um, no, he's never going to come back and do that. Unfortunately, which is a pity. He's quite happy just having his little kind of cottage industry releasing yeah, it albums. Yeah, wor it works for him there. He's a happier man, I, I feel. Yeah. Oh, that's fair enough. Okay, let's move on to um, there's so much stuff. God. Um, the stuff we did together with BEF was nice. Yeah, that was great. I mean, the um, the track that we did together, I thought you performed it magnificently, I have to say. In fact, that, that Dark album has uh, proved to be quite um, prescient, given the current circumstances, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, uh, true, true. Um, uh, and so, yeah, listen to the BEF Music of Quality and Distinction, Volume 3, uh, which features Sarah Jane. But I loved it when we when we performed live. That uh, yeah, I got to do Ball of Confusion, which is oh, that was uh, great. What a song that is! I mean, it's a it's a song. it's so it's right on, isn't it? Yeah. And and um, but the the interesting thing was, I remember people coming up to me after that performance that you did, and they they went. I mean, you completely upstaged everybody. <laughs> I didn't know. I'm not in a bad way, but in a you, you completely just blew everybody away. You know, you are a you are a four I mean, I know it's a cliche, and I'm looking at your press release here, and it says, Leave your preconceptions at home. Begins one London critic's assessment of sensual singer-songwriter. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Sarah Jane Morris, who straddles <laughs> Rock, blues, jazz and soul With a goosebump raising four octave range That rumbles from the heels of her size eight shoes To the tips of her flame red mane God, that's... Another you know. reason why the press thought I was a man Size eight feet You know, tall, <laughs> low voice Because when we, that was going back When I was a, a number one with the communards The News of the World did, did a, a piece making out that I'd, I'd as good as been a sex worker. I mean, you wouldn't believe some <laughs> of the stuff. And then the star, the star came, Daily Star, I think it was, either the star or the sun, made out that I was uh, an operation job. And years later, what? based on this, the years later, when I was setting up my first website, my sax player, Mornington Lockett, was, was doing it for me because, you know, I, I wasn't part of this new revolution. It was, uh, I needed somebody else to do it. And he did, he did all sorts of research um, by, by, you know, finding out was this site, was it a fan site? You know, I put my name in and found out where, where it went. And he rang me up and he said, Sarah, I need you to get a stiff drink. I need you to sit down <laughs> and I'm going to send you something. Now, what happened was in the olden days of the beginning of, of, of websites and things and the internet, things took a long time to load up. So you saw, you put in Sarah Jane Morris, this, I think it was a neo, neophyte or something yeah. site. And you saw the red hair 
gradually came out. And then you saw yeah. the face came, gradually came in. But it wasn't my face, but it was neither male nor female. And then you read on, and this was someone that was in the process of having a sex change and was becoming me. Because uh, Mornington wrote to them and said, is your new life as Sarah Jane Morris anything to do with the singer Sarah Jane Morris and the communards? And they got back and said, I do hope she doesn't mind, but yes, she's the woman I'm hoping to become. Right, okay. <laughs> That's pretty strange. I've, uh, wow, okay. You weren't expecting that, were you, Martin? No, no, no. Um, well, yeah. I mean, interesting. It's quite kind of micro-ambitional. That's why. That's what I'd call it. It's a, um, a huge thing having a sex change. I've got many friends who've had them. I, I yeah. think it's it's incredibly brave. It's to be celebrated, and so yeah. I took it initially. I was shocked, thinking, "Oh God, all the press are going to think it's true now that I was a man that became a woman." But then I sort of started to use it because one of my songs, yeah. and you produced this one that I wrote for the the, the TV series, um, the Men's Room. Uh, it's a song called I Am A Woman. And so I used to tell this story before. Oh, say, now you don't know whether I'm the real one or whether <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I was Listen. able to sort of play about with it. Yeah, in the world of pop music, it's never been a bad thing to be sexually ambivalent, is it? I mean, look at Bowie, look at, you know, yeah. Elton yes. John. Yes. Or, I mean, it's, it's, it's that, that kind of sexual ambivalence is not, not a bad thing, even if it's not real, you know, I mean... You know, yes. we were kind of head ahead of the curve. Anyway, I'm I'm going to wrap up shortly, but I've got a lot of yeah. stuff to get through. So first of all, for the stuff that I'm not going to cover, um, can you yeah. plug your website? What's the best way to? So to, the best uh, way to to see me is through www.sarahjanemorris.com, right. and I've also got my own YouTube channel which is Sarah Jane Morris. And I do, I've been doing through this lockdown with my son, who's a singer songwriter, because he, he ended up having to live with us for this year because his business right. had just folded and he was about to go and live in Italy when this right. happened. And right. so he and I have done three lockdown concerts together. Oh, uh, yes. Which we streamed, which, is, which has been lovely. The first one we raised, uh, I think we raised three grand for the food bank here. Oh, We're going to be doing another one at the end of, of Feb together here. And um, that's that's been that's been a wonderful thing to explore together. But yeah. um, what I, I what I also did and would have been um, sort of promoting all of last year was I did an album about uh, the wonderful John Martin. Now the song yes. that I do on your on your um, your album, B yeah. album, is called "I Don't Want to Know About Evil." Yeah, and um, it's I, brilliant I, by the way. It's thank you. Well, because I write, I've become a social comment songwriter. That's what I've fallen into becoming over these years. I write the, the human story. But when you when you write about these terrible things that are happening in the world, you absorb it. And I mm -hmm. needed a break. You know, I'd, I'd yeah. written I'd written the song for Leila Hussein's um, FGM campaign. I wrote a song for the stolen Nigerian girls. Uh, I wrote a song about um, uh, honour killings, a, a song yeah. about uh, the murder of sex workers. You, you absorb these stories and I needed a break. So I thought I need to maybe cover somebody's, pay tribute to somebody. And I thought, well, I've been singing I Don't Want to Know About Evil as an encore since two, 1997 was when I, I first right. recorded it. And I thought, 
He died 10 years ago. He was 60, which is what I was becoming. And uh, he died well before his time. And he didn't have the kind of fame that he deserved. And also, because he was a baritone, and I'm a baritone, I wouldn't have to change a key, but I could visit it and change the music and make it my own, because you don't yeah. have a song unless you claim it. So I've got one of the best guitarists around, Tony Remy, and I asked him if he would become part of this project. So what we did is we, we chose uh, 12 of John's songs and we totally changed them and we involved, we did a kind of bartering thing where we involved a lot of our wonderful friends. And I had some string arrangements from Sally from the Communards. We have Jason Rebello. We have a lovely assortment of musicians. But then we wanted to take it one step further. And so I, I'd been doing a, a few benefits with, with my friend Mark Thomas, the political comedian. Love him. And uh, he's a wonderful guy. And he's a lover of jazz. And we were talking about it. And I was saying, would you be interested in directing this if we try and turn this into a multimedia show? And he said, yes. So I got my brother involved, who's a filmmaker, Rod Morris. And we went around the country and we filmed friends of John Martin's, family members, fellow musicians that work with him. And... And, and then uh, with Mark, we wrote a script and then we turned it into a show. And we took this to the Edinburgh Festival, not this last year, but the year before, and we got an Edinburgh Award. So um, right. that was what we would have been touring all of this last year. Oh, we, shit. We, we pressed up a 100 limited edition double vinyl and on it, I'm doing a duet of May You Never with the wonderful Eddie Reader, who I, right. used, I used to be in a band with called... Um, the Fufu and Light Soup, a Ghanaian band, before both of our careers took off. And then we were in a band called the Trio of Enormous Love with, with Jules Holland. So it was uh, Ian Shaw, Eddie Reader and myself. And right, each right, would take right. the lead and the others would do the backing vocals. You couldn't get better, better backing vocals than those two, <laughs> my God. So that was great. So she'd worked with, with John. So uh, we, what, what we did is my husband, who's an artist, Mark, he started doing original drawings of John on the white album covers. So we've yeah. been selling these original works of art with the double vinyl. But obviously I'd have sold the lot had I been on tour. Yeah. But I'm, I'm having to try yeah. and sell them through my online concerts. Or It'll all happen again. It will all happen again. It'll all happen again. Right, I've re uh, I'm just going to sum up now. Firstly, uh, you performed at our wedding. Yeah. Uh, and I was so grateful for that. It was beautiful. She sang. Well, you do uh, have the best wife, Lansley. Ah, she's great, Lansley. Fantastic. Um, first time ever I saw your face, yeah. which is one of my favourite ever songs. And you know, everybody in the church was crying. And it's, it's written. It's written by by the, um, Ewan McCall, I, who yeah. was the father of my two guitarists, Callum and Neil McCall. Shut and of up. course, was the father of Kirsty, who I was doing some writing with, leading up to. Oh. To to her uh, un, un, very unfortunate death. Yeah. What, a, what a talent! What a, ta what a talent! talent. Yeah, let's pay it was tribute. Just to right breaking through again. Oh, no. and another redhead. Another redhead. Yeah. Great song. Um, yeah. So um, and we, me and you, did an album together called Heaven, which yeah. I still am very proud of. It's as part of my canon, and I'm hope, hopefully you are as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And we did so, it. So uh, check that out. Yeah, check that out on um, on Spotify as well. And uh, where are we? What else have we got? Uh, just wrote a note down here saying, you are much loved 
and you therefore you are very very rich in terms of experience yeah. everybody loves you and that's what it's not a coincidence that people want to collaborate with you because you're you are an open-hearted good person with good socialist values uh communal values which i think everybody needs to get back to that community of. is the most important thing now yeah. becoming part of all sorts of groups uh where we're, we're all trying to help each other because there's so many artists down here from filmmakers yeah. to musicians to to writers and and we can a try and keep our artistic community together, but we need to help. You know, we're here down yeah. in Hastings. We've got we've got an unemployment problem. We've got a real drug problem. We have a refugee problem. It's real life here. It's Dawson yeah. by the Sea, Hastings, yeah. and Leonard. Yeah, I know that. And, and it's as a songwriter, I have a lot to feed into. But yeah, no, I I I have an enormous amount of love back from my audience. Uh, it's a circle, isn't it? Music, you yeah, go out, and it comes back. Absolutely. All right. We always end up on every podcast, if you've listened to any of them or got to the end of any of them, with some daft kind of smash hits type questions, which <laughs> always used to make me laugh when we got them back in the 80s. So what's your favourite um, film? Any, or one of them? You know, One of my favourite films, Wings of Desire, Vim Vendors. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Um, favourite book? Favourite book? A anything. And everything by Zola and by Toni Morrison. So uh, interesting, interesting. Okay, uh, your favourite visual artist. My favourite visual artist. I have to say, my husband, don't I? Really, oh. Mark Polson <laughs> is my favourite living. living Brand Morris. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, um, okay. um, I, I, I love favourite visual artist. We are. Okay. Wow, okay, this is good. Um, I'm going to compile all these together at one yes. point. I think it would be quite interesting to see the variation. Of if you people. saw my interior design, you would see that I was I was very influenced by VR. The, the kind of right. the clashing of, of patterns and colours and textures. You know, you, I mean, you can see the way I dress too. I love yeah, no, no. things, I love colour, things yeah, yeah. that other people think wouldn't go together. I'm just going to show you this, this chair that I've just recently... Oh, that's beautiful. So, I mean, all those different, different Yeah, fabrics. you wouldn't think it would work, but it's, that is very you. Yeah. Are you, you going to start, is this going to be a business then? Well, who knows? I mean, we're all having to find different ways of, of making a living. You know, one of the things that my husband's doing, he, as you say, he's an artist, but we've been taking, he's a huge band and Bob Dylan fan, and he, everything, every situation, he has a Bob Dylan quote. And um, what, what we've what we've been finding different bits of furniture, and he's painting them, but he's painting. So, so say for instance, at the moment he's working on a rocking chair, and he's got a lyric. It's a band song that very much features this this rocking chair. So he's paint everything. He's writing, writing the lyrics all over the chair, painting them. He's painting the band, the the, the, the iconic picture. So we're trying to, to sort of obviously we'll sell these to people who are huge mm. Bob Dylan fans, and but each piece of furniture will be related to a song and I love that. That. so that's another thing we're trying to do we're just trying to think of ways of, of still being able to fund our art because yeah, we don't have exactly. to make a lot of money we, but we want to still carry on to doing what has to come out of us so. well from from a, 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 a personal perspective i believe the future of um 
of of commerce is probably more and more bespoke individualistic pieces that are sold to people. Yeah. It's becoming yeah. more feasible through the logistics of uh, distribution and everything as yeah. well. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've also considered things like, you know, I've, I have to pay for my studio. It's not cheap. Yeah. And, um, you know, should I offer my services as a producer to individuals if they have a particular yeah. vision, you know, uh, to do stuff? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I can't quite wrap my mind around it at the moment. You, but you're one definitely... of those people that can do anything, Martin. Oh, well, no, anything yeah. you turn your mind to, you're a very bright man. No, thank so you. you will find your way to do whatever oh, thank, it is. Thanks, SJ. Um, okay, so and the final thing is what's your... I mean, I know you're a songwriter now. Do you have a, any kind of recording studio or anything? So I record. I can record at home. And obviously, it's right. not to the standard that you are. No. Um, but uh, I'm able to record vocals. And I've done lots of things during lockdown for other people. I've made two albums from here. So wow. I've done two virtual albums, one with the wonderful Solace Quartet, who are in Naples, because I've been doing a project with them. It's a theatre theatre project, but it's... Um, it's it's about the the guy who murdered John Lennon and Mark Chapman, and so the stage is they play in very big places, but it's the stage is part prison, part field of rye, wow. and we are doing all the songs of the Beatles. And because I'm a baritone, once again they're very changed, and and it's just strings mm. and voice. So this this project I toured with them last year because Italy, because you can do huge outdoor concerts I was able to still perform this but now we've recorded the album and we'll be doing that in Italy a great deal next year in uh, um, and also the other album I, I, I virtually recorded was, is with an Italian producer called Papik uh, he, he's worked with Mario Biondi and a lot of lot of different people and he's with he does things for Irma Records Irma I-R-M-A which right. I've recorded three albums for over the years. They're a Bologna-based, very politically correct, tiny right. record company. So right. um, what we've done is we've taken 80 songs and changed them. So one of the songs I've done is Missing, Everything But The Girl. I've done a, I've done a Paul Weller song. Um, I've done um, a Prefab Sprout. Now, they were one of my favourite bands. Yeah, yeah. It's Paddy, Paddy McAlooney. What, what a writer. So I've done one of, one of his... So I've taken these these songs from the eighties, and it's That's quite great. jazz FME. But hey, it, listen, don't knock it; it's fine. It's, it's, it's still music. It's still music, and I yeah. was part of the eighties, so I found felt like that was. The I don't think you to need do. to apologise for anything about what you've done in your career. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now, but what a pleasure it's been, SJ. Oh, it's... I know we could talk for a lot longer. Um, well, I look but forward to I, being around your table with one of Lansley's meals. Oh my god, she's just the best. I've married a great cook too. I know I did this time around as well. Been <laughs> very fortunate each time. I've only my, twice. But. My favorite thing is her Irish stew. I have to say that's the thing that gets. Can me you give going. her my big, big love? Oh, I will. Yeah, I'll let her know that it's part of the podcast. She, she actually is a big supporter of what I'm doing as well. Um, so, yeah, that's it. We are going to um, put this out as soon as we can, I think in about three weeks' time. So um, that will be great. Thank you so much for your time, darling. I miss uh, everyone, but I especially miss you and uh, all my music friends. And uh, Oh, well, never mind. We'll get there in the end, won't we? Well, darling, 
being with me. All right, darling. Love you. Lovely to see you. Love you too. Okay, and, bye. And, uh, yes, no, I really am interested. Do oh, yes, back. let's do the, let's do yeah. the education yeah, thing. Definitely. I think you're perfect for yeah, it. I would love to do Brilliant. it. All right, bye, darling. darling. Bye. bye. Sarah Jane Morris, she's a box of tricks and an amazing amount of stuff. Listen to her stuff on YouTube. Uh, you should go to her website and check out. She's always doing interesting stuff. New albums, new collaborations. Um, it's a never-ending source of inspiration for me, personally. Um, she knows lots of interesting people as well. She's led me to uh, contact Peter Hamill and Jimmy Somerville and Mark Thomas to be on the podcast. I'm going to do that as soon as I get off this. Um, how is everybody coping currently? It seems to be just as much of a shit show as it's been all the way along, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I hopefully will be doing performing in the autumn for everyone. I'm a bit concerned that they're not going to get their stuff together in time in terms of inoculations and we might end up in another lockdown this winter, but who knows next winter. Um, I think that if anybody's struggling um, who's listening to the podcast, uh, I am not a therapist uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, if you think it might help, please send me an email. But I also want an email from you if you just got comments about the podcast or funny stories or stuff that you want me to read out, uh, criticisms, ideas for new guests, um, comments on the current situation. My email address is electronicallymartin, with a Y, at gmail.com. Electronicallymartin at gmail.com. And I will try and read out as many of your emails as possible. Looking forward to speaking to you next week. Bye.